forgive me if you've heard this story before, but on New Year's Eve of 2019, which seems like 10 years ago, but but definitely was not 10 years ago, my family and I always spend that entire night together. Mainly, we almost always stay in the house just for safety and security, and the, and the more known I am, the less likely it is that we go out on New Year's Eve. And so we normally spend the night in the house um, watching television. My wife normally makes an amazing New Year's Eve meal for us to all enjoy that we're all happy about and look forward to for for the whole week. And we normally all stay up at least until midnight and and celebrate and hug and, and love on each other. And at the end of the night... My wife asked me something, and she was definitely expecting a very different answer. She asked me what my predictions were for 2020. And I've been a very, very optimistic person for almost my entire adult life. I, I, I am still, my default is still optimism, but this world has certainly squeezed a lot of that optimism out of me. And she just asked me in front of the kids what my predictions were for 2020. And I I don't know, you know, there are times where you should probably fake it for your kids. (laughs) We could argue about that later. But in a moment of clarity, I just said to her, and I'd had this kind of sinking feeling for days. I just told her and I told the kids, I think 2020 it's going to be a horrible, horrible year. And I had a lot of things that were on my mind. But two things that I did not have on my mind were the sudden and horrible death of Kobe Bryant that would come two weeks later and the impending crisis of the coronavirus that ultimately killed over 400,000 people and would affect my family and yours and my neighbors and friends and colleagues and yours. And 2020 turned out to be indeed a a horrible year. But for me, in a lot of ways, that the, the, the horribleness of 2020, it started with the sudden, shocking, painful death of Kobe and his daughter and their seven friends. And I don't know if you believe in omens or even how to look at it, but it was the beginning for the world and certainly for our country. It was the beginning of an incredibly painful year. I just want to talk today for a moment about how our nation has processed this grief and pain from the death of Kobe and Gigi and their friends to so much loss that we see from coast to coast and the impact that I think it's even having on our politics. Let me unpack and explain it. This is Sean King, and you are listening to The the, the Breakdown. The, 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 the Breakdown.
I read an article yesterday that really hit me hard. It was, if you don't know this, I'm a huge NBA fan. I have the NBA season pass. When we could go to games, my family and I would go to as many games of the Brooklyn Nets as we could. We love the Nets. Uh, We're big fans. Uh, We lived in California for years, and so we're big fans of the Lakers and the Warriors. Uh, We always loved the teams where we live. You know, we we grew up in Kentucky. And so when you grow up in a place like Kentucky, you don't really have a hometown team. And so, you you know, I grew up rooting for Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Um, But I read an, an article yesterday about the Lakers and how they are still in an active state of grief over the sudden tragic death of Kobe and his daughter and their friends and how it it, it has impacted them in immeasurable ways and how they haven't fully processed it. As you may know, they were um they were in the middle of their season. And it I think they were literally on a plane when they learned about Kobe's death and it looked for a while like it may derail their season. Ultimately they won the championship in a lot of ways dedicated that to Kobe. But in the article that I read, it talked about how much his death has still left the entire franchise in a very fragile place because Kobe was the Lakers brand. They they had him from the day he was drafted as a teenager to the final game of his career. He remained active with the franchise after he retired as, as a mentor and advisor, would show up at games, and was still very much a presence in Southern California in general. And from the Buss family and Jeannie Buss to Magic Johnson to certainly LeBron and AD and many of the players, they said today that they weren't going that they, they the Lakers play today if i understand that correctly and and that when they play today like they played yesterday in in Cleveland that they were going to have some small subtle acknowledgments of Kobe but that the team was still in so much pain from it that they probably would not do an extended um you know, memorial to Kobe because their hearts are all still actively broken and healing. And it was, it was a type of acknowledgement of loss that I don't know I've ever seen a sports franchise talk about, that I've ever seen an athlete talk about. In part because Kobe, while he was a living legend, uh, while he played and and even after he retired he was seen as kind of like a young legend because he wasn't in his 80s like Bill Russell or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or others but seemed so young and strong and seemed like he had the best of his life ahead of him as a father as an entrepreneur as a trainer of athletes um it stings differently. You know, I, I did multiple interviews with Larry King over the years, and I was hurt to learn of Larry King's passing. He had been very kind to me in the interviews and uh, was just someone I admired. And um, 
my mother and I used to watch him all the time when I was a kid. And, and, and yet, when Larry King passes, even though he was still literally active, still, still interviewing, he interviewed me last year, um, still very much a fan of sports, very much a father. Um, it's different when someone who has lived what we think to be a full life passes away versus Kobe Bryant, a father of young children. And the, the tragedy deepens knowing that his daughter and her young friends and family members were there as well. And while I think we have processed and are actively thinking through and processing the grief and loss of Kobe in a way, I don't know that I can call it healthy, but in a way that is at least healthier than I have almost ever seen us process national loss and grief. You know, I was not alive when JFK or Dr. King or Robert Kennedy or Malcolm or Medgar or others were assassinated, good Lord, in a span of six years to have all of those leaders assassinated is unthinkable. And the nation had to really confront grief in a way that I don't know that we have. And yet after Kobe's passing, it became a year of pain and grief in ways that we never, ever could have imagined. And I want to talk about how I think it's impacted our politics, how we see the world, and how, in some ways, I feel like the death of Kobe Bryant and how we process it has been a bit of a stand-in for how we process all of the grief we're experiencing. I'll explain what I mean right after the break. We have a quick word from one of our favorite brand new sponsors. I'll be right back. I don't know about you all, but during this pandemic, my entire family has used online shopping more than at any point in our lives. And at, at sometimes we've completely relied on it. I think a lot of people have, and Honey can help you save some cash while you do it. Honey is a free browser extension that scours the entire internet for promo codes so you don't have to do that work, and it applies the best promo codes it finds directly to your shopping cart. They support over 30,000 online stores, so chances are whatever you're buying, wherever you're buying it, they've got a coupon for you. And Honey has helped me save money on everything from technology to clothes to food orders and so much more. And if you don't already have Honey, you could be missing out. You are probably missing out on free savings. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a favor and supporting the breakdown. You can get Honey for free right now if you join Honey at joinhoney.com slash breakdown. That's joinhoney.com dot com slash breakdown check it out let me know what you think it's gonna save you some money the day before i believe it was the day before he was inaugurated there was this powerful powerful coronavirus memorial service that Joe Biden helped to lead. And 
don't know if you watched it, but it was it took place right there in Washington, D.C., on the Washington Mall. And it it was beautiful. If you if you didn't see it, I watched some of it in real time. I was there with my children and I was actually having to fight back the tears and had nothing to do. As you all know, I'm I'm a lifelong critic of Joe Biden. I, I will say now, as I've always said, that I think one of his greatest traits today is that he is a man well acquainted with grief and loss and understands what it's like. He he lost his wife and daughter at a young age, then lost his son who was a star in the family to terminal brain cancer and has just he's just had to process unthinkable loss for one person and so he's he very much identifies and connects with people in pain and it was a poignant moment and when the memorial was playing they said something that was really shocking and in a lot of ways ugly it wasn't they didn't use ugly words. I'm saying they said this was really the first true memorial, memorial service on a national scale for the 400,000 plus people who had died from the coronavirus. I mean, can you imagine? Almost half a million Americans have died. And over the course of all of that, The president of the United States, the national government, national leaders didn't have a single national memorial. Like it is unthinkably painful that our nation has lost so many people. And I felt like that service was one of the first times that our nation said we must measure and acknowledge and grieve the sheer, unthinkable volume of loss that we've experienced. And in a lot of ways, it is not for Kobe's dear family, not for his wife and and surviving children and, and his parents and others. For them, the loss of Kobe is not easier to grieve. But as a nation, it is it is an easier way to grieve the athlete that we've celebrated, we, we know his face, we know his name, we saw him literally grow up. I felt like I was in high school when Kobe was in high school. I felt like I grew up with this man. And it is an understandable thing to play a montage of all of his best shots and moments and best interviews. And our nation for the entire year from the day he died until now has continued to perpetually perpetually mourn Kobe but not so much the victims of the pandemic and in fact so many of them we don't know their names we don't know their stories we just know the volume and we see the number every day we just crossed over 420,000 deaths We believe that by the end of February, we'll be at over 500,000. And yet something about those numbers that I follow and track every day, because I know behind those numbers are real people and real lives, are mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and husbands and wives and brothers and sisters and cousins and neighbors and friends and colleagues. And like 
It's all of those people, but the numbers don't do that. But when we tell the the story of Kobe, they're not really telling his story in terms of numbers. They may say that he won five titles. They may they may show a game, but but they show him as a living, breathing, you know, a thriving, vibrant human being. And so we get to mourn that loss and even the loss of his daughter Gigi in a way that is more natural. And there's a part of me that thinks the continued mourning of Kobe Bryant for the entire year is, yes, because it was a tremendous, horrible, painful loss, period. But also, I think in some ways, Kobe's death and Gigi's death, we've mourned them all year as a type of stand-in, as a substitute in some ways for all the loss that we've experienced. And it's a lot of loss. And in some ways, I think we are now living in a time of great grief and great loss. I think it's affected our nation, our politics. It's affected our everyday lives in ways that I I think we're just beginning to wrap our mind around. As all of you know, our nation is in an incredibly fragile place. I mean, our democracy itself is hanging on by a thread. I'm not an alarmist at all, but murder rates have risen in most of America's cities, and in some of them significantly. It's all an outgrowth of just the sheer devastation, pain, economic loss and destruction of so much pain and loss and struggle that we've gone through this year. It's a lot. And we're just really, we're just beginning to process it. And in some ways, it's hard to even process it because we're still right in the middle of it. Listen, I've got to run. I love and appreciate all of you. I'm thinking of you, praying for you, rooting for you. And let's keep on pushing. We've got a lot to do. Take care, everybody. Break it down. Hey, everybody. I want to tell you about a brand new podcast that I love a lot. And it's not because there's a woman that I love who is the co-host, my dear wife, Ray. But she is co-hosting a brilliant, important, essential podcast called Woke at Work with Dr. Blanca Ruiz. It's an amazing podcast about women of color in the workplace and all of the unique challenges and opportunities and sophistications. And they have brilliant interviews and they unpack the myriad of issues, what it really means to be a woman of color in leadership in the workplace and so much more. You spell it W-O-C at work, W-O-C at work, women of color at work. Search it. It's on all of the platforms now. It's getting amazing reviews and I want you to check it out.